Hello and welcome back to another episode of our English and British Monarchs series here on History with Jackson. Now today we are looking at King Stephen's successor. We are looking at King Henry II. Now as always we will look at who he was, what his earlier life was like, what his reign was like and then we'll bring that all together to analyse his reign or how good a king was he. So before we get into that make sure you like, subscribe and follow and I hope you enjoy learning about King Henry the second. Now who was King Henry the second? Now King Henry the second was born in Normandy in around 1133 to Empress Matilda, Henry the daughter and Geoffrey Plantagenet, Count of Anjou. He resembled much of Matilda's family in that he was short and stocky. He was also prone to bouts of anger and, and impulsivity. Now, much of Henry's early life was taken up by the conflict called the Anarchy, which we looked at last week. Now, he spent some of his earlier life in England with his mother to further her own claim to the English throne because she had a male heir, which would have dramatically increased her chances. He also decided upon his own accord to get involved in the conflict at age 14 in 1147. In this attempt was a failed invasion and he was sent off packing by Stephen after Stephen paid for his mercenaries to go home. However, in the second phase of the conflict like we looked at last week, Henry got involved himself, proving himself to be a fine military commander and diplomat. And in 1153, he was named as Stephen's heir. Within this period in 1152, Henry got married to King Louis VII of France, former wife Eleanor of Aquitaine. This dramatically increased the amount of power and prestige that he held in Europe. In October 1154, King Stephen passed away due to a stomach disorder. And per the Treaty of Winchester, Henry succeeded to the throne. Upon Henry's ascension to the throne, Henry became one of the most powerful and largest landowners in Europe, as his kingdom included England and Normandy, Anjou and Maine and Aquitaine. And this kingdom would only increase in size throughout Henry's reign. Henry was crowned at Westminster Cathedral by Theobald, Archbishop of Canterbury, and at his coronation, Henry promised to restore the kingdom to its previous grandeur. As part of this restoration of England, Henry confiscated all lands, titles and power given out under King Stephen. Whilst he restored some of these titles and lands to the previous owners, he also restored lands and titles taken away by Stephen. This clearly set out the idea that Henry was going to be the font of power in England. Henry also set about 
destroying, demolishing the illegal castles that had been built during the anarchy. And this led to hundreds of castles being demolished. He also confiscated and occupied some important castles that had been built during the anarchy. Henry also set about establishing his supremacy in the British Isles. Henry was supported by Pope Adrian IV, who we spoke about in our Pope series, and the link to that will be in the description, as Adrian had set out the papal bull Lauda Bilta, which allowed Henry to go and invade Ireland with the aim to bring the Irish church under the umbrella of Rome. Henry also gained the overlordship of Scotland as Malcolm IV paid homage to Henry. Henry also established his own supremacy in Wales as well. Henry was supported in a variety of his actions by his Lord Chancellor and the Archdeacon of Canterbury, Thomas Becket, or Thomas A. Becket, as some have known him as. Thomas A. Becket, as the Lord Chancellor, ensured that Henry's finances flourished and were secure. And as the Archdeacon of Canterbury, Thomas Becket acted as a bridge between the crown and the church. Now, Henry was particularly impressed by the Archbishop-Chancellor system that the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick Barbarossa was using within his kingdom. And he sought to emulate this at home. And after the death of Theobald, Archbishop of Canterbury, Henry submitted Thomas Becket's name to be a candidate for the seat. Now the church were up in arms about Thomas's candidacy, as he was not a consecrated priest or bishop, he was not a churchman, he was a layman, and that he was also a large supporter, major supporter and close friend of the crown and they thought that this would be a conflict of interest. However, Becket was made Archbishop of Canterbury but this became an issue for Henry as Becket felt inadequate for his position and immediately threw himself into church and religious life to combat this feeling of inadequacy. He was consecrated as a priest the day before his ascension to, uh, ascension to the Archbishopric of Canterbury and immediately the day after his ascension resigned from the Lord Chancellorship. Becket as Archbishop of Canterbury immediately became a thorn in Henry's side. Henry had appointed him so that Henry could bring the church under his power at home. But the this did not happen as Becket immediately went to the Pope in order to strengthen the Archbishop of Canterbury's position and power. Henry and Becket also clashed over a number of key areas and one of these areas was the courts. It's been estimated at the time that one in six people were part of the clergy in England and this meant 
that one in six people escaped the royal courts and instead went to the ecclesiastical courts for their crimes. Now Henry wanted to rectify this and for major crimes such as rape and murder he wanted to try these people in the normal royal courts and distribute proper justice to them as they escaped this with the lighter punishments of the ecclesiastical courts. And Henry issued the Constitution of Clarendon to try and rectify this situation. However, Becket refused. And even though he did strengthen the punishments of the ecclesiastical courts in England, he did not meet the requirements that Henry wanted. Henry and Becket also clashed under the sheriff's tax laws at the Council of Woodstock. Becket was clearly doing the opposite of everything Henry wanted him to do and going against the reasons for why Henry put him in the position in the first place. And as they clashed more, Henry reclaimed everything that he'd bestowed upon Becket whilst they were close friends. And Becket, to escape punishment, went into a five-year exile. However, as this situation became more embarrassing for Henry on an international stage, Henry began negotiations with the papacy to witness the return of Becket to England. And in 1170, Becket returned. But immediately excommunicated several of Henry's key supporters. Henry was very angry at this and had a major outburst and this outburst was heard by several of his knights. These knights then snuck off to Canterbury in an attempt to arrest Becket and bring him to the king. But Becket refused to be arrested and the knights murdered him at the altar within his church. This was an international embarrassment for Henry and something that he always had to attempt to rectify. Becket was proclaimed a martyr by the church and was later canonised by the papacy. Now throughout this period Henry and Eleanor fulfilled the basic duty of kingship and they had five sons. The first, William, passed away at the age of two or three. The next two eldest, Henry and Geoffrey, predeceased Henry himself. And then the youngest two, Richard and John, would later go on to be kings in their own right. However, these sons, Henry, Geoffrey, Richard, would later go on to become a massive thorn in the king's side after Becket's death. Their threat to Henry materialised in 1173 in something called the Great Revolt. The seeds for this Great Revolt began in 1169 when Henry's eldest surviving son, Henry was named as Henry's junior king, following on from Capetional French custom at the time. But Henry had not given his son any power to make decisions, and this angered the younger Henry. 
the younger Henry also claimed that he was not financed properly and could not properly support himself and his household. Henry's other son, Geoffrey, also felt a similar way. And they were joined by Eleanor and Henry's other son, Richard, as Henry and Eleanor's marriage and Richard and Henry's relationship had disintegrated or deteriorated massively. These four were supported in their efforts by King Louis VII of France and the King of Scotland. The four attempted to invade England and assert their supremacy over Henry. However, after Henry had crushed the Scottish attempted invasion, he turned to Normandy and crushed the French forces, killing the revolt at that moment. From this revolt, Henry and royal authority had emerged stronger than ever before. As part of the peace process, Henry bestowed upon his sons more money, so they felt that they were amply supported by their father. However, he did not bestow more power upon his sons, as he did not feel that they could be trusted with an increased amount of power. Henry then also kept his wife Eleanor away from Aquitaine as this was carefully thought out punishment as she loved her home county. Henry's later reign was marred by conflict between his children. Henry later in his reign passed Ireland over to his youngest son John so that John had an inheritance. He witnessed his two sons, Henry and Richard, nearly go to war. But this war was avoided by Henry's death. Geoffrey also died later on too in a tournament in Paris. Now, this left Henry without an official heir. And he wanted to initially name Richard as heir or junior king in England. But to do this, he had to relinquish Aquitaine. And he was going to install John as the, the ruler in Aquitaine, but this did not materialise as Richard refused. Henry was then going to name John as his successor, but nothing was ever set in stone. But there was a lot of conflict and disagreement between Henry and Richard. After Richard refused to be named the junior king in England, Richard was a constant thorn in Henry's side. As he consistently went against Henry's instructions and undermined Henry's French policy. Now, how did Henry die? Now, in 1189, the seeds for his death were being sown and it was centred around a disagreement between Henry and Richard. Now in 1189 Henry met with the new King of France Philip Augustus. Philip wanted his ally Richard Henry's son to be recognised as Henry's heir on both sides of the channel. Henry did not say anything but it was clear there was a refusal to recognise Richard as his heir. And this 
angered Philip and Richard as they began to attack Henry and his strongholds in France. But Henry, who was already ill, was too ill to fight back and instead attempted to retreat to Anjou. Here in Anjou, he lay in bed with his condition gradually worsening. But he did meet Philip after two weeks and he acquiesced to Philip and accepted all his demands and Richard was recognised as Henry's heir on both sides of the channel. This greatly upset Henry as he had wanted to recognise his favourite son John as his heir. But upon finding out that his favourite son John had supported Richard and Philip Augustus in this action against him, Henry went into shock and eventually passed away at the age of 56, leaving his kingdom to his eldest surviving son, Richard. Was Henry II a good king? Now, I'd be interested to find out your guys' judgment, so please do comment below. But here is my judgment on Henry II. Now, he was a very strong temporal leader and he re-established a strong, large and powerful continental English kingdom. He also reformed English government successfully, laying down the path for English common law. However, there is always a however with these kings, Henry was severely lacking in husbandly and fatherly skill as his entire family betrayed him at some point or another. He was also almost universally disliked, even within his court, according to contemporaries. Henry was also severely criticised over his handling of the Thomas Beckett crisis as well. So that is something that definitely left a mark on his record. But to conclude, for the long term, I think that Henry was a good king. He did set upon some reforms that can still be felt today and he did establish a strong and powerful England. But for contemporaries, he was a bad king. Well, thank you very much for watching this episode today, guys. I've really enjoyed researching Henry II. I think he's a very interesting character. Um, as always, I'm going to show you some books that I used for my research. I think you guys would really enjoy. So firstly, it is The Plantagenets, The Kings Who Made England by Dan Jones. I just think this book is absolutely phenomenal. It's really easy to read, but it's also really rich with content and information. So I thoroughly recommend uh, The Plantagenets by Dan Jones. And next, this book has been mentioned a couple of times before, but it is Simon Sharma's A History of Britain at the Edge of the World, 3000 BC to AD 1603. It really is a fantastic book. It has fantastic pictures in it. Um, it's easy to read. Uh, I just think you guys will really enjoy it. There is three volumes. The other two volumes will definitely be making an appearance in the book recommendations later on within this series. So definitely recommend Simon Sharma and Dan Jones. And the links to those two books will be in the description below. 
Now, in the meantime, if you'd like to keep up to date with everything history with Jackson related, please head to the social media links below in the description or my website, which is www.historywithjackson.co.uk. I really hope you guys are enjoying this series. Please drop a like, a comment or a subscribe if you are, because I'd really like to hear your guys' opinions on the kings and queens that we will be talking about. Alternatively, if you would like to support the work that we do here at History of Jackson, please head to the Buy Me A Coffee profile in the description below. That's just a very quick and easy way to support the work that we do. Now, thank you very much for watching this episode. I look forward to teaching you guys about Richard I. So stay tuned for next week and get ready to learn about Richard I.